So I've called this message Against Humanism. I believe that's what's at the heart of Colossians chapter 2. And because the key verse in this passage is this one, I believe. I'll put it up for you. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're really full of endless arguments and human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not on the anointed truths of Christ. There are, I think there have always been powerful voices that have dispensed with the notion of God and promoted a humanistic philosophy and set of values. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that in this post-Christendom world, humanism is one of the strongest philosophies to emerge. At the heart of humanism, there is a desire to live well, with meaning, and with a code of ethics that is solely focused on promoting well-being and wholeness for humanity, albeit without reference to God or any truth revealed in his word. Never before has humanism been so well formed or articulated as it is right now. Never before has humanism had such a strong influence on this country. It is a powerful force. The website humanism.org.uk has been a real help for me in order to understand humanism and explain to you what it is. They put it this way. Throughout recorded history... There have been non-religious people who have believed that this life is the only life that we have. That the universe is a natural phenomenon with no supernatural side. That we can live ethical and fulfilling lives on the basis of reason and humanity. They have trusted to the scientific method, evidence, evidence and reason to discover truths about the universe and have placed human welfare and happiness at the centre of their ethical decision making. Today... People who share these beliefs and values are called humanists, and this combination of attitudes is called humanism. Many millions of people in the UK share this way of living and of looking at the world, but many of them have not heard the word humanist and don't realise that it describes what they believe. It is one of the main purposes, purposes of Humanists UK to increase public awareness of what humanism is and to let the millions of non-religious people in this country know that far from being somehow deficient in their values, they have an outlook on life which is coherent and widely shared, which has inspired some of the world's greatest artists, writers, scientists, philosophers and social reformers, and which has a millennia-long tradition in both the Western and Eastern worlds. Can you feel the passion and the focus there? If you go on humanist.org.uk, there's a huge amount of information there, and it is so beautifully presented, and it is so passionately argued. Just to help you understand the essence of humanism, I want to play uh, a video from Humanist UK. Um, Could we go over to the video, please? Some people believe that there is one single meaning of life. 
They think that the universe was created for a purpose and that human beings are part of some larger cosmic plan. They think our meaning comes from being part of this plan and is written into the universe waiting to be discovered. A humanist view of meaning in life is different. Humanists do not see that there is any obvious purpose to the universe, but that it is a natural phenomenon with no design behind it. Meaning is not something out there waiting to be discovered, but something that we create in our own lives. And although this vast and incredibly old universe was not created for us, all of us are connected to something bigger than ourselves, whether it is family and community, a tradition stretching into the past, an idea or cause looking forward to the future, or the beautiful wider natural world on which we were born and our species evolved. This way of thinking means that there is not just one big meaning of life, but that every person will have many different meanings in their life. Each one of us is unique, and our different personalities depend on a complex mixture of influences from our parents, our environment, and our connections. They change with experience and changing circumstances. There are no simple recipes for living that are applicable to all people. We have different tastes and preferences, different priorities and goals. One person may like drawing, walking in the woods and caring for their grandchildren. Another may like cooking, watching soap operas, savouring their favourite wine or a new food. We may find meaning through our family, our career, making a commitment to an artistic project or a political reform, in simple pleasures such as gardening, in hobbies, or in a thousand other ways, giving rein to our creativity or our curiosity, our intellectual capacities or our emotional life. The time to be happy is now. Go back. That's great. Thank you. This is uh, the second time that I have challenged something that Stephen Fry has said, um, which seems a little bit unfair considering he's not here to defend himself. Um, but I can't tell you how glad I am he's not. <laughs> I would be massively intimidated by that enormous intellect, wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> In fact, if Stephen Fry were here, I probably would have contacted the Institute of Contemporary Christianity and see if I could wheel out a mega brain to stand alongside <laughs> him and debate them on the issue, and I could just host and be the nice guy in the middle. Um, but <laughs> given that Stephen's not here, I'll give it a jolly good go. Brilliant. <laughs> this is a... Yes. All right. All right. Um, maybe I'll give it a go. <laughs> that, that clearly is just a test for my faith. Okay. Um, this is the picture that we end up with. And I, I think, for me, I look at this picture, and there's a huge amount here that I do agree with. Yes? Yes? So we really are uh, a picture, a, a product of our influences from our parents and our environment and our experiences and we change and we evolve and we grow as we grow up and we, we understand meaning through new lenses as we progress through our lives, yes? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those things give a, a huge amount of meaning to us. Over here, we are part of a, a, university, a university, a universe that is bigger than ourselves. Yeah. 
We, we do love this incredible, very old planet that God has placed us on, and, and we can marvel in those things. Uh, and also, we, we have traditions, we have moments in our lives, we have uh, causes in our lives that shape who we are and give meaning to us. Of course they do. And over here, where he talks about how actually exploring our potential, uh, pursuing ideas, being able to explore the extent of our intellectual capacity, all of those things, being able to have meaningful relationships that actually add a huge amount of meaning and value to our lives. All of those things are true. And I wouldn't contradict any of them. And and certainly hobbies as well, interests, things that we have. Uh, that we're excited about. We, we all come alive in different ways. Some of us with a paintbrush in our hands, some of us walking through the hills, some of us riding a bike up Haytor, whatever it is. Uh, we, we are wired differently. We have different personalities and we come alive in different ways. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I, I, I would support all of that and encourage us all to explore all of that. We are those people. And... This kind of humanist philosophy is incredibly persuasive because we resonate, we connect with so much that is on that screen. This kind of philosophy is based on human logic and it's preached by some of the most impressive voices in our country. People who seem to have found happiness and contentment through this worldview. And if you listen to this with no understanding or experience of our wonderful Jesus and you have a thirst for meaning in life, you'd be tempted to conclude that humanists have the answer to existence. They've arrived. They've cracked the mystery of life. Many would resonate with this so much that they would unquestioningly take the next step to believe that humanists have found true richness and joy in life and proven that God is not necessary. The Apostle Paul has encountered this same philosophical agenda in his day. And as someone who has understood the desperate human need for the gospel, he confronts it head on. He describes these humanist voices as those who would disqualify you from the prize. He said, don't let their apparent sincerity fool you. For they take pleasure in pretending to be experts of something they know nothing about. Their reasoning is meaningless and comes only from their own opinions. They refuse to take hold of the source. Where did that whole video start from? By removing God from the equation. They refuse to take hold of the source. He said, don't let their sincerity apparent sincerity fool you. There is a, a, such an incredible sense of uh, in sincerity and integrity and um, just well-reasoned logic that comes through the, with the humanist agenda. They also uh, appear to be the most happy people out there. When, when you listen to some of these humanists really go for it about uh, the, the richness of life without God, some of them uh, just seem like they they are really just sharing with us the way to wholeness. But they refuse to take hold of the true source, the fullness of life and purpose for which Christ came and lived and died to give us. And the ironic thing here is that though humanism 
claims that it is an unspiritual, secular philosophy in the sense that it rejects the notion of the spiritual realm or influence of spiritual forces. It is, from a Christian perspective, one of the most powerfully spiritual forces on the planet right now. Why is that? Because it's promoting the widespread rejection of Christ and his gospel and successfully reorganising culture and ethics away from biblical truth. Here are some of the definitions of humanism from the first page of Google. An appeal to reason in contrast to revelation or religious authority as a means of finding out about the natural world and the destiny of man, and also giving a grounding for morality. Humanist ethics is also distinguished by placing the end of moral action in the welfare of humanity rather than in the fulfilling of the will of God. That's the Oxford Companion to philosophy. Next one, a non-religious philosophy based on liberal human values. That's the little Oxford Dictionary. And then Collins' Concise Dictionary says this, rejection of religion in favour of the advancement of humanity by its own efforts. That last one sounds like a good description of the Tower of Babel to me. We don't need God. We can build a better life for ourselves by our own efforts and wisdom. So let's be clear. Humanism is powerfully spiritual. It has power to convince huge proportions of humanity to reject the gospel before they've even had a chance to look at it. Thus denying them salvation, holding them dead in their sins. It's one of the most powerful strategies of the enemy in our time, I believe. And it's growing in popularity in post-Christendom Europe, in the West. So behind the warm, respectful, reasonable facade, I believe there is an antichrist spirit behind humanism. That might be hard for some people to hear. It sounds a bit kind of apocalyptic, doesn't it? There's an antichrist spirit behind something. But I believe it's true. I believe that's exactly what is driving humanism. The Apostle John said this, Everyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God has the spirit of antichrist, which you heard was coming, and is already active in the world. Second John 1 verse 7. Numerous deceivers have surfaced from among us and gone out into the world. People who will not acknowledge Jesus Christ coming as a man. These deceivers are antichrists. 1 John 2.22. Who is the real liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the real antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. What would the Apostle John's response be to the video we've just watched? Would that not be his words? The Apostle Paul fiercely comes in with this protective uh, mega argument because the Colossian believers are really up against this same spirit. He says this, this is verse, verse 2. Actually, no, I haven't got that one up there. Verse 2 says, I'm contending for you that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together into love's love's fabric. And verse 4, I want you to know this so that no one will come and lead you into error through their persuasive arguments and clever words. And again, verse 8, this central verse, beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. 
For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not on the anointed truths of Christ. Paul is contending fiercely because he knows that for the undecided out there, humanism closes down the road to salvation. It puts this huge roadblock up to the way of salvation in Christ. And for the Christian, humanism is still incredibly dangerous. Why? Because it has tremendous power to, as Paul puts it in verse 8, to cloud our judgments. If you try to create a life philosophy that amalgamates Christianity and a few nice bits of humanism, you end up with this situation where we are in a very clouded view of the world. How does it do that? By making powerful, culture-shifting arguments based on what seems good and right and reasonable to us. That's how humanistic philosophy is constructed. It's what is best for us, what seems right in our eyes, what seems to promote human well-being the most. It's about what do we want and how do we want to live. Even if those powerful culture-shifting arguments stand in direct contrast to the Word of God or the revelation of Jesus. So we as Christians find ourselves struggling to honour God and his ways against a huge pressure of humanist agenda that is backed up by compelling human logic. So naturally there will be times where we have to disagree, and that is hard. It's really hard to stand up against prevailing culture. When we live in humanist culture, simply saying God says yes or no to something is a quick way to lose friends and to be branded as a religious bigot or a Christian fanatic. Our worldview makes no sense in many ways in our humanistic culture. Because we construct our worldview and our ethics and our morality from a completely different source. As disciples of Jesus and children of God, we're asking very different questions from our community. The humanist asks first and foremost, let me walk in the way that seems most right for us all. And that seems honourable. The Christian asks first and foremost, Christ, you are the way. Let me walk in the centre of your revealed truth. It's a completely different question. So it's inevitable that we will often find ourselves walking in different directions. But let me tell you what this passage promises to those who choose not to reject God, but to walk through this beautiful world alive to him. Number one, you will be full of God. I love this verse. This is Colossians 2.10. And your own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. How many of you know what that feels like? To be full of God as the Spirit of Christ overflows within you. I, just the other night when we began our journey with Alpha, I uh, tagged along, uh, gatecrashed the opening party to share something of my story. Um, and I, I just enjoyed sharing once again with a bunch of people who were asking the key questions about life and God and meaning. What an impact God has had in my own life and the early days of my faith. And I remember so clearly the moment that God just met me 
on the road in my life. Not everyone has the same experience in the same way. He meets us all differently. But I remember when God met me and there was something about the way God stepped into my experience and he touched my heart so profoundly. And all of the worldview that I had constructed up to that point, which I thought was, was pretty well constructed at 17 years old, <laughs> all of my elaborate super wise worldview that I held at that age suddenly came clattering down because it was completely trumped by this experience that I had and awareness that I had deep in my spirit that God is exactly who he says that he is and I remember as I sort of bowed the the knee of my life and of my heart and I said okay okay God now I understand I, I get it you're real my heart has come alive to you I've had an encounter with you At that moment, it was like God filled my life with his presence. I suddenly felt saturated by the presence of God. The Spirit of Christ overflowed from within me. I can relate closely to this verse about what is promised when we choose the truth as it is in the Bible and his gospel. The Lord will, by giving your life to Christ, by allowing God to set the philosophy of your life, God will fill your experience with his presence. You get God by saying yes to Jesus and his gospel. That's the first thing. Second thing here in Colossians that is promised for those who put Christ and his gospel first is this. You will be guilt-free. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart. What does that mean? Circumcision is about removing something in order to be something else. What are we removing? All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. What a great verse. God removes guilt and shame in a way that no humanist philosophy ever could. Verse 14 goes on to say, He cancelled out every legal violation we had on our record. He erased it all. Our, st- our, uh, our sin-stained soul. He deleted it all and it cannot be retrieved. I love that. When you see the Lord do this with someone and you watch sin drop away from somebody's life and for the first time they experience what it is to be without shame, it can be the most beautiful thing to watch. I've seen this many, many times with different people as it's slowly dawned on them by giving their hearts to Jesus that they no longer carry a a sin record. It's phenomenal. I remember when I was in London, uh, I I think I've spoken before about uh, a friend of mine, Mick Rossi, who was um, in, who had done time in Dartmoor for murder. Um, and he was a bit, he was a very thick set guy, bold man, uh, pretty uh, intimidating really and on his door he had like a three-headed dog uh, we knocked on the door to say hello and he came out and he squared up to us and uh, we struck up a friendship immediately he was brilliant um, but he, he was uh, one of two people that did an alpha course with us while we were in London and uh, he went through the alpha course and he, he was just brilliant on the alpha course every time uh, we got to the end he would say yeah but hey what's it all about uh, and I'm like, we just did the session. Uh, but um, yeah, he, he, he made slow progress. But I remember what kept coming out for him is like, yeah, but Aid, you've done a lot. I've done, I've done things. 
He used to say, I've done things. And every time I talked about God's grace and forgiveness, he'd say, yeah, but I've done things. <laughs> and uh, I remember praying with him and reading scriptures like this with him uh, to explain the power of God's grace over him and his history. And I remember having prayed with him one day, he, he got it. He suddenly got it that actually everything he had done had been paid for by a brutal execution 2,000 years ago. Uh, and I watched him change over the coming weeks. And I remember sitting down and asking with him, you know, how do you feel? You know, what, what's going on in your heart? And he just said, I feel clean. He said, I feel washed inside for the first time. And he was a different man. He held himself differently. He carried himself differently. He was no longer trying to intimidate everyone that came to his door. It was like something huge in his life had been dropped. Something that prison couldn't, make, uh, couldn't have fully paid for. Even though he paid his debt to society, he still had a debt within his soul that had not been removed through that process. And yet Jesus did that for him. And I just watched him go from being a man who still had a stained soul to a man with a completely clean conscience in God. No humanistic philosophy can do that for you. That is a supernatural transaction that only God can do. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and we all, all, all need it. It makes all the difference in your life. You need that spiritual baggage removed, and this, these scriptures promise, with Christ, that is possible. Number three, you will possess eternal life and live with an eternal perspective. Colossians 2.13 says, This realm of death describes your former state, for we were held in sin's grasp, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive. Hallelujah. When the humanist breathes his or her last breath, they believe that's it. There's nothing, just nothing. When the Christian breathes his or her last breath, we know that he or she is carried home to glory, where life begins at a whole new level. C.S. Lewis tried to imagine what passing into glory might be like for the Christian. And in the final words of his epic series of the Chronicles of Narnia, speaking of the characters in the story, he said this. He said, the things that began to happen after were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had been, uh, sorry, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Yeah. Love that. What a beautiful description of what every believer has to look forward to. And that's what's at stake in the battle for the soul of the UK. So my prayer is twofold. Firstly, that all of us in this room and connected with this church would breathe our last 
full of truth, experiencing the love of God and possessing the eternal life that only Jesus came, came to give. And the second is this, that against all the odds in this humanist culture, we would take with us into glory a vast multitude who have encountered the truth of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and even in these godless days that they would dare to live by his word for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we've only just begun to scratch the surface of this issue. And it's a complex one. And to be able to know how to graciously and humbly hold out the gospel to this generation who feels they know so much better is such a challenge, Lord God. To be uncompromising with your word and to be those who live in your world in your way and come first to your anointed truth to, to understand how we should live and to build our code of ethics and to set our relationships and our roles and everything else. Lord, it's just so hard in a, such a secular and humanist society. But we confess that before you. And we confess that it we are often with clouded judgment. We find it hard to walk that line between grace and truth, acceptance and uh, passionate adherence to your word. But we want to be those who, who learn to walk in the kind of grace and truth that we see in you, Jesus. Uncompromising, and yet full of grace and full of love and full of compassion and non-judgmental. Lord, we recognise that behind what we face in our age, there is a powerful spirit that is opposing you and your gospel, that is preventing many people from being able to encounter the fullness of life that you came to bring and you paid dearly for. And so, Lord, help us to continue to courageously hold out the word of life. To say there is no other way, there is no other truth, there is no other life, there is no other way to fullness of life and eternal being other than through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Give us courage. Give us the language. And let us do it with gentleness and respect. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.